uh, as you will see, Andrew and Pam Davis are with us today, morning and evening. Good to have you back, Andrew. And uh, we'll celebrate God's goodness to us as we have his word. Well, our opening psalm is Psalm 24, reminds us today that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it, and sharing these resources in all sorts of ways, not least in our regular giving and particularly the Samaritan's first. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? He has clean hands and a pure heart. Lift up your heads, O you gates. The King of Glory awaits our praise. Let's stand together and sing. thank you that we're able to come together as a company of people with all of our varied capacities and for all of the potential that comes to us as collectively we worship you today and we thank you for that unique coming together of a people of faith who confess that you are a God who is good and gracious and steadfast and we ask your blessing today particularly on families in all the variety of human experience their joys and their sorrows and we bring our praise and ask that not only would we enjoy worshipping you but you would be pleased with our love and the devotion of our hearts we thank you for the younger children here and we praise you for the way that at a young age they can know about the Lord Jesus and today for their teachers and parents and indeed even here in the stillness of your presence as your Holy Spirit prompts us, stirs us, comforts and challenges so we would know that you are real and that you're with us in school and home you're with us when we enjoy sport and you're with us when we socialize indeed you have promised to be with us always you are with us in our joy when life is good and you're with us in our sorrow when life is very hard and difficult and today is a poignant day as well as a day of blessing for some here and we ask that your grace will encompass us all surround us and undergird us we thank you and praise you for families in their joy where parents are loving and children are lively where homes are comfortable and jobs are secure we have cause to pray as well for families in their sorrow where grief has come and loved ones are no more where jobs and home and health has failed and such is the nature of human experience 
that on this special day we want to pray without pretending and ask that you would hear us. We pray that the Holy Spirit of unity and wisdom and love would be at work in all of our families as they grow. And for some of the young folk who've come back home from college and work to be together, we pray that there may be great joy and a sharing of human experience enriched by your love. Guide us throughout today and hear all our prayers as we worship you, as we lift up our hearts to you and celebrate your goodness and your grace and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, we bring all of our prayers and we gather together all of our giving. The giving not only in terms of our money, but of our lives, of our time, of our gifts, natural and spiritual. And we are humbled once more to think of part of the world in which we live that has so much and others that have so little and we ask Lord that you will give to us generosity of heart and spirit and we thank you now as we are poised to receive your word that it may come to us in a way that would challenge and awaken and redirect. So hear our prayers and prosper your work throughout the whole world. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Please sit down. Andrew is going to come and read to us. A bit scary if he's taking his coat off. But I... Thank you. Welcome, Andrew. Lovely to have you back here. Let's turn to 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and we'll read in chapter 1. From verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve as my forefathers did with a clear conscience, as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I have been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord, or ashamed of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Saviour Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the Gospel. 
And of this gospel I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I am suffering as I am. Yet I am not ashamed, because I know whom I have believed, and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him for that day. What you heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching, with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. You know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me, including Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord show mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, he searched hard for me until he found me. May the Lord grant that he will find mercy from the Lord on that day. You know very well in how many ways he helped me in Ephesus. It's interesting, isn't it, that in that passage, Paul refers to Timothy's mother and grandmother. Clearly, Timothy was privileged to have come from a godly home. We don't know anything about his father, but we are told a little bit about his mother and grandmother. And that obviously had a huge impression upon him and upon his life. And brought up in a Christian godly home like that, God had brought him to know himself as his God and Savior. But that didn't mean that Timothy was immune from difficulty. He was a nervous young, dyspeptic young man. And he was extremely timid, even though he'd been called by God to take over from the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul wrote the letter from prison. He was probably awaiting certain execution. His life had come to an end, virtually. And Paul felt his age. By modern standards, he was now an old man. So here is an old man facing execution, writing to a young pastor who is about to take over from him, and who is himself a nervous and unwell person, encouraging him to go on, to continue. There's no trace of despair here or self-pity. He wants the baton to be handed on. So he's virtually writing the letter to do that. It's probably the last letter, letter he ever wrote. In other words, the work of reaching people for Christ was right at the very heart of everything that Paul believed and stood for and did. Not only reaching people for Christ, but building true gospel churches. So he tells Timothy to guard the gospel, to protect it, he tells him to preach the word, to live righteously, to equip Christians for their ministries. And it's a word, therefore, that is very appropriate for us today. I don't want to describe our modern society. You will know it as well as I do. But it's pretty hard going these days, seeking to bring the gospel to people in our own land. We've already been reminded of the fact that very often Christian missions are marginalized forgotten about, sometimes even ridiculed. So it's not easy to bring the gospel to people in our own country. But this is what we're here to do, individually and corporately. 
Although science and technology have changed our conditions, they haven't changed us, and human beings are just in need of God's grace as they ever have been. So Paul here, writing to Timothy, is also passing on a word of encouragement to us. And he really speaks in this passage about two gifts that God had given Timothy. In verse 6 he speaks about the gift of ministry, a charismatic gift if you like. For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. He's clearly talking there about the enabling, empowering gift of the Holy Spirit that enabled Timothy to minister, to preach, to teach, to lead. He's thinking about the call, the commissioning, the empowering of this young man. And he's saying, I want you to stir that gift up. Don't let it die or languish. Kindle it. Make it live. Don't neglect the gift that is in you. In the previous letter, he reminds Timothy of the way in which this gift was given to him by the laying on of hands of the elders. So he's clearly talking about that, a gift of ministry and the enabling of the Holy Spirit to do that. And each Christian has gifts that God has bestowed upon us. Gifts of the Spirit, gifts given to us by God. Some of them are natural, now honed and toned in a spiritual direction. Others are directly spiritual. But God has given to every Christian certain gifts. And we are meant to exercise them, to fan them into flame. But then the second thing that Paul refers to here is the gift of the Holy Spirit himself. And in verse 7 he tells Timothy, God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but of power and of love and of self-discipline. And he's clearly talking there about the fact that every true Christian has received the Holy Spirit. He's using the plural, us. And if you read the chapter carefully, you will find that he does that on other occasions. So he's clearly broadening his interest here from the gifts to the actual gift of the Holy Spirit himself. And he's saying that all believers have received the Holy Spirit. This is one of the things that it means to be a Christian. It's a glorious, astonishing thing if you think about it for a moment. There are two great things that God does when he brings us to himself and makes us his own. The first is to give us the gift of Jesus Christ as our righteousness. He takes us from the law court and brings us into God's family by adoption. He forgives us, accounts us as righteous in Christ, so that we are as righteous before God as Christ is, because Christ is our righteousness. But the second thing he does is to give us the Holy Spirit, the new birth, and the ongoing renewing work of the Holy Spirit that follows on from that. And this is something that we sometimes overlook, or forget about, and as a result get into trouble. I think this verse comes to us as a challenge. It challenges the man of the world, for example. I don't often quote Bertrand, no, it wasn't Bertrand Russell, I beg your pardon, it was, um, it was another celebrated uh, author who wrote about beer. 
I'm referring to Bernard Shaw. I don't often quote Bernard Shaw in sermons, but on one occasion Bernard Shaw said that beer makes you feel as you ought to feel without it. Now if you think about that, that applies to lots of things in life. We fill our lives up with things to make us feel good, whereas we really are not any better and don't really feel any better as a result. Here, however, is something that does make a profound difference. This is a challenge for the man in the world. If you're facing a terminal illness, where is your strength and support and hope going to come from? Or family difficulties? Or bereavement or sorrow or tragedy? Where's the strength and support and help to come from? It's a challenge to the man in the world. It's a challenge, I think, to the religious person too, because like many of you perhaps, I was brought up in a Christian home and I believed because I ought to believe. I didn't really believe. And that's a challenge, isn't it? Am I merely a Christian in inverted commas because I'm not a Muslim or a Hindu or a Buddhist? Or do I have within me this spirit? It's a challenge to the Christian too, because the Christian, as I said, can forget this. And sometimes we get cast down and we feel our failure and our weakness and we wonder whether we are serving the Lord or living as we should. So it's a challenge, but it's also a tremendous encouragement. Do you feel your inadequacies? Do you feel your failures? We have an enemy to exploit those feelings, to cast us down, to depress us, to disturb us. Do you remember that wonderful contrast in 1 Peter between the Lord who cares for us and the devil who devours us? All the devil is interested in is devouring us for himself. He is utterly self-consumed. The only person who matters to the devil is himself. God, however, cares for us. And we have this terrible enemy who would exploit our weaknesses, remind us of them, make us feel useless, make us feel afraid, even paralyze us. But God has given us a spirit of power and love and a sound mind. I'm reminded of Bunyan's wonderful image in Pilgrim's Progress of that great, that fire in the interpreter's house, in the interpreter's house, where the, you remember the, the man is pouring water on the fire constantly, but the fire seems to burn even more brightly than it did before. And the answer to it is that behind the fire, behind the grate, someone was pouring oil onto the fire. And the devil's concern is to quench the spirit, but the Holy Spirit himself wants to revive us and refresh us and renew us. Well, here's the answer to fear. We are all, I think, subject to fear. Some of it rational, some of it irrational. Look at the three things that Paul reminds Timothy of. A spirit of power has been given to us. The Holy Spirit is a spirit of power. What does he mean by that? Well, he's talking, I think, about the power 
of the gospel, of course, and the power of God in daily life, and the power of God to enable us to witness. But it's possible in church life, and even in our own lives, to substitute other things for this. Let me give you one or two illustrations of this. One is from the history of the 19th century movement known as the Oxford Movement. John Henry Newman, who was the leader of that movement, wanted to revitalize the Church of England with a scholarly intellectual ministry. It was a laudable aim, but he took people back to the 17th century Carolingian divines and to the early church fathers. Again, a laudable thing to do, but as a result, he introduced a kind of priestly, sacerdotal, Eucharistic kind of ministry into the Church of England without relying on the power of the Holy Spirit. It's an illustration of substituting something else for this. Take another illustration, take the fact of enthusiasm in church life. Now it's a good thing to be enthusiastic just as it was a good thing for Newman to want a scholarly ministry. After all, we are not meant to be those who uh, bury our heads in the sand. We're meant to think hard and well and deep. And enthusiasm is a good thing. It's a valuable thing. But it's not necessarily the same thing as the Holy Spirit. I don't know whether Jeff remembers this, but I do remember a Welshman who was a well-known evangelist. He used to go around the country playing the piano accordion. And somebody said to him, well, now your father, his father came from the O4 revival in Wales, your father never did that. Why, will, why are you doing it and your father never did it? Oh, he said, my father had the Holy Spirit. He clearly understood the difference. You can whip a meeting up. That's a very different thing from the Holy Spirit coming down upon a meeting. So, whilst um, scholarship and enthusiasm are good things, valuable things, they're no substitute for this. The power is the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Many of you have felt that power, known it, experienced it. It's changed you. You heard the gospel, the good news about Christ's death on the cross for your sins and his resurrection from the dead to make you his living epistles. And you were changed. May have been in a meeting, may have been when you were reading your Bible, may have been as a result of the testimony, I don't know. But the gospel came to you, it changed you. Paul was passionate about it. It's the message. And it glorifies Christ. It lifts Christ high. The Holy Spirit always does that. Always draws attention to Christ. Never to himself. Spurgeon has a lovely illustration of this. He speaks about looking to the dove. When I look to the dove, he says, he flies away. But when I look to the Lord Jesus Christ, the dove flies into my heart. It's Christ who is the power of God and his gospel, the power of God unto salvation. So, that's the power that Paul is talking about here. And it spills over into daily life. So when you're going through hard times as well as good times, 
You have the power to endure, the power to live. The power to live a day at a time sometimes when it's hard going. Which of us has not been moved if we read the life and the experience of Johnny Erickson Tarler, a quadriplegic who spent most of her life unable to move. I remember visiting when we were in Kenton, a lady who had spent 30 years in an iron lung. She couldn't move a muscle, except her lips. So very gratefully, she had received the kind of technology that enabled her with her lips to answer the telephone, to listen to the radio. But Kathy Crowhurst had spent 30 years in an iron lung unable to move. But we saw something indescribably sweet and wonderful in her life. God helped this power. And of course it enables us to witness in our living and in our speaking. Howell Harris used to talk about the old authority by which he meant the coming of the Holy Spirit upon him enabling him to preach with authority and power and people to receive it with authority and power. The power of truth. That's what the Christian faith is about. And the Holy Spirit loves to use the truth concerning Christ and his glory. Paul also refers here to the spirit of love. If you think about it for a moment or two, God is love, isn't he? Long before he created, God is love. That means he must be three persons. Because you cannot love somebody unless he's there to be loved. And the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit have always existed. And the Trinitarian love of God has always been distinctively the great truth about the Christian faith that distinguishes it from every other faith. God is love. He is Father, Son and Holy Spirit in other words. Father loves the Son, the Son loves the Father, the Holy Spirit is the love of God proceeding between the Father and the Son. You have three persons long before creation was ever made. And then out of love God created the universe. And out of love he cares for us. And out of love he provides for us. And out of love he gives his Son to be our Redeemer. This is the love of God. It's different from all other loves. And it flows to us from his heart. It's outgoing. It's not the kind of love that often people think is love today, which is self-centered. It's outgoing. It's outflowing. He shares himself. He shares his his word, he shares his son, he shares his spirit. God is a sharing, outflowing, outgoing love. That is who he is. And this is the love that he has put into you and me, if we are Christian people. It spills over to other people. And it spills over to believers in the fellowship of God's church and to unbelievers who are yet on the road to faith. This is the spirit of love that God has given to us, the Holy Spirit. And by the Holy Spirit, this love binds us together in the fellowship of God's church. We've received that spirit. And then Paul, who was not only a wonderful theologian, but a consummate psychologist, finally says, 
a spirit of power and love and of self-discipline. That is to say, this is the application of the sermon. This is putting it all into practice. Timothy, he is saying, now if you've received the spirit of power and of love, then there's no need for you to be fearful and timid. There's no need for you to languish. There's no need for you to worry about people who are going to bring false doctrine to God's people. You're to teach God's people. You're to help God's people. If you're worried and anxious and fearful, then you're to cast all your cares on Him. If you're afraid, there's no need to be afraid. Don't give in. Don't give up. Remember, he says in the next chapter, Jesus Christ risen from the dead. You see what he's doing here? He's actually saying to Timothy that it's in the application of the truth into our daily lives it's at that point that the gospel really distinguishes itself from everything else. Self-discipline, putting it into practice, going out to work tomorrow morning, remembering that I have received the spirit of power and of love in my family life, in my relationships within the home, in my calling in life, whatever I'm doing, if I'm retrenched or unemployed or whatever, if I'm facing illness, if I'm bereaved, if I'm sad and sorrowful in heart, if I'm anxious, I have received a spirit of power and of love and of self-control. This is indescribably precious. This is what the unbelieving world needs. This is what Christians have to wake up to. Think what spirit dwells within you, says the hymn writer. What a father's smile is yours. What a saviour died to win you. When I was a lad, I went with my cousin Douglas up the Gwynnavie Valley. As you know, in South Wales there were a series of valleys running down from the coal fields, and these valleys eventually ended up at the ports. So the coal was brought down by train to the ports and then transmitted, transported all over the world. And uh, in those days, the lines were still running. The lines were in, in sections, not like the continuous rails you have today, so, and it was a steam engine, of course. So we'd go to the, the Aberavon railway station, not, not the Fortalbold railway station that you travel through if you're on the, uh, the Paddington line. This was another branch line that went right up the valley, up the, up the Sinvi and the Grinvi Valley to Triorki. It would go up the valley and, and then through a tunnel into Triorki in the Ronda Valley. And my cousin Douglas and I would travel up in regularly to visit my brother and his wife. He was a pastor in the town of Handy. And as the, the train made its way up the steep part of the valley, and the, the wheels rattled over the tracks, we would, we would say to each other, I hope I can. I hope I can. I hope I can. And then, when it leveled off a wee bit, I think I can. I think I can. I think I can. And then when it got to the very top of the valley and through the tunnel into Triorki, at speed, I can. I can. I can. I can. I can. That's the Christian. That's the Christian. Not I hope I can. I think I can. I can. I can do all things set forth through Christ who strengthens me. What a privilege that is. What a 
joyful thing that is, what a difference it makes to our daily living. It doesn't diminish the difficulties. It doesn't for a moment remove the problems. But it gives us this inward power and love and self-control. So we can face tomorrow. We know that Jesus Christ, our Savior, has given us the Holy Spirit. He dwells within us. And he can come upon us in refreshing power and grace in ways that are exceptional and extraordinary. We call those times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. But he's with us nevertheless. And so we can live the Christian life in the power and in the strength of the Holy Spirit. God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and of love and of self-discipline. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the reality of these words of the Apostle Paul in our actual experience. Thank you that these are not just words on a page in a book, but living realities in our lives, and that the Holy Spirit, the third person of the blessed and triune Godhead, has come to dwell in our hearts. Externally, we are just like everybody else. But we have this extraordinary new life within us. And we are amazed by it and astounded by it. And we pray that we may realize it more and more. And as a result, live joyfully, live positively, live caringly as witnesses to our Lord Jesus Christ, bringing the good news to people as those who have found it to be true themselves. Pardon our failures and our weaknesses in this, but we praise you for your abundant grace and come to you in the name of our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.